What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the My Hustle podcast. I am your host, Joe Caparoso, the head of content at Whistle. Today, we're going to have a conversation with Chris Ruder, who is the founder and CEO of Spikeball, a game that I'm sure many, if not all of you, have heard of or seen people playing all over the place every summer. We were lucky enough to tell Spikeball's story in one of our episodes of My Hustle that aired a few months ago, one of our best performing and best received episodes. So we're really excited to have a conversation with Chris today to dive a little deeper into the origins of Spikeball and what it's like running a, a company like that day to day as it continues to uh, rapidly expand. Chris, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Joe. Let's start with where did you get the idea? Where did you and your team get the idea from for Spikeball? And what were the first sort of steps you took to get everything to come together uh, on the path that ultimately led Spikeball to where it is right now? Um, yeah, so I first discovered Spikeball. So to be clear, I did not invent it. I brought it back to life. So it was around, I believe it launched in 1989. I was about 14 at the time. One of my buddies bought it at a toy store, brought it back to the neighborhood, and we started playing it and you know, fell in love with it, thought it was a great game. And people would stop and ask us sort of these same three questions. What's that game? How do you play? And where can I get it? Um, and the where can I get it part we couldn't answer because from what, we, from what little we knew, it launched in 1989 and it was killed in 1991. So it was only around for like two years. And I guess it didn't sell well, so the original company killed it. Um, but we kept playing on and off over the years, and then finally me and those same childhood friends and my brother and um, some others went on vacation to Kauai and Hawaii. I'm pretty sure it was 2003, and same thing. You know, We had this beat-up old set from the 80s, kind of covered in duct tape, and we're playing, and people start asking us about it. And that's when sort of the light bulb went off and me and those friends started talking about, huh, I wonder if we could actually bring this thing back to life. Um, so, you know, we just started talking about it for like a couple of years, didn't really do anything. And then I finally said, all right, guys, I'm going to talk to some attorneys and see, you know, can we legally do this? And uh, we learned that there was never a patent on the product and the trademark, which protected the name had been expired for, I don't know, 10, 15 years. So, um, yeah, the attorneys are like, yeah, you guys can go ahead and do, do whatever you want. Nobody owns anything. So, um, we did talk to the, uh, guy that actually invented it and, you know, swap notes a few times, talked about maybe partnering up and, uh, that didn't quite work. So we went ahead and launched on our own and that was in 2008. Um, I then ran the company by myself for about five years and. Um, you know, it was only on spikeball.com. We weren't in any retail stores. And, um, you know, I would literally go to the post office every day with one or two boxes and ship them to customers. And people kept playing and um, ran it as a night job for those five years. You know, the company had no money to pay me or anybody else. So I'd come home from my day job, hang out with wife and kids. They'd go to bed around eight or nine and then nine o'clock or so is when spikeball work would begin. I'd do that until probably about one or two in the morning and did that more or less every night for about five years. In 2013, uh, we hit uh, $1 million in annual revenue with zero full-time employees. That time, my wife and I agreed it was safe for me to quit the day job and go full-time. Um, and we've been growing like crazy ever since. So, you know, we're up to 
27 full-time employees who live all over the country, all over the world now. Um, we're profitable um, and I've been bootstrapped and yeah, just trying to figure out as we go along here. At this stage of the company's you know, growth and what you have built so far, what is a normal day like for you or a normal week like for you on this job now that you're up to having, like you said, 27 different people that are sort of spread all over the place and you guys have you know, a really robust range of sales coming in from different places. What What is a normal day or week like for you now? Uh, good question. So um, I'm just trying to think like, you know, what, what I've been up to the last few days to give sort of some concrete examples. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm more or less in the office every day, uh, you know, probably four days a week. And, you know, even though we are headquartered here in Chicago, at our headquarters here, it's usually me and maybe one or two other people, and that's it. So everybody lives, you know, pretty, everybody pretty much works from home. Um, but, you know, I'll have, uh, you know, most of my time is spent <laughs> sitting at the desk. I think a lot of people think we're just kind of playing all day. And, um, but, you know, I had a conversation yesterday with um, Nick, who's our head of marketing. So we're planning, we've got a tournament coming up in San Francisco, and we're uh, going to be filming there and we're hoping that what we film may, uh, you know, we've got a partnership with ESPN too. Uh, so we're hoping whatever we film uh, will show up there. So we've been uh, discussing sort of what's the storyline, you know, historically we've been, I think, pretty good at uh, showing sort of what happens actually at the tournament, just, you know, the points, how do you play, et cetera. But we want to get more into telling the stories of the players and sort of what sort of makes them uh, tick. So trying to dig deeper on that. Um, Another conversation I've had is with Jack. You know, he, he's responsible for developing uh, the sport of round nets. And for those of you not aware, the sport actually is not spike ball. The sport is round nets. Spike ball is equipment that makes, I'm sorry, spike ball is a company that makes equipment for the sport of round net. With that said, most people consider it spike ball, so I want to clarify. Um, but we're, we've got a tricky thing here. You know, the mission of the company is to create the next great global sport. Um, so, yes, should we give our top players uh, attention? Absolutely. But we actually need to build the foundation. We need millions of more casual, just kind of backyard players um, before we can sort of get to um, sort of that, you know, big legitimate sports status. Um, so that's one thing we're going through. Another one is uh, with the um, uh, coronavirus happening. Um, you know, our fact, we have a couple factories in China. That's where we make our product, and we need to make sure that we have enough inventory. You know, spring is right around the corner, and sales are going to be picking up. Um, so, were we um, adequately prepared? Uh, do we have enough inventory here in the U.S. to get us through that? That um, uh, you know, sort of, yeah, get us through all the issues with you know factories closing and coronavirus coronavirus sort of slowing everything down. And the good news is, yes, we're in good shape. So um, that's sort of a quick peek into day in the life, or I guess that's what I've been up to the last couple of days. What has the, over the past couple of years as, and not even the past couple of years at this point, but as social media and digital marketing has became more prevalent, what has sort of been the general overall approach that you guys have taken towards creating awareness around the sport and the product on different social media platforms, generating conversation and engagement around it 
Is most of what you do built around trying to drive people to come out to different tournaments? Is it built around focusing on some of the different players? Is it built around educating people on the game? How have you guys thought about digital media and marketing and social media overall? Um, so I'd say it's, it's all of the above. Um, we do some paid digital, but most of it is organic. So I don't want our answer to be, oh, in order to reach more people or in order to grow our awareness, all we have to do is write a check to Facebook or Instagram or whomever. And yeah, all of a sudden, more and more people are going to be aware of, of the product. Um, I want it to be organic. I, you know, whenever, if you look at sort of the general vibe of any of our social posts or our emails, um, it's very casual. Uh, I don't want to say it's laid back, but it's casual. I do, you know, when I, when we're working with our team, we sort of instruct them to, when you're writing that caption, write it as if you're writing it for your friends. Um, you know, we don't want it to be this very formal thing that goes through a bunch of marketing committees and then gets watered down and then really has no personality to it. You know, I think one thing most people will be able to tell when they look at any of our posts or just our general way of engaging is that there's a real human behind it. You know, there's a personality and that's not a contrived thing. Like if you look at our, uh, what we're doing on TikTok, um, uh, the, the woman that runs that, her name's Izzy. She's uh, been with Spikeball, I don't know, six, eight months now, something like that. Um, and there's just, the personality is just oozing through that. That is all Izzy. Uh, that is not something we just sat down and said, okay, what do we want our general tone and, um, uh, you know, what do we want it to be? Which Izzy, run with it. Do what you think the audience is going to like and just have fun with it. Tom does the same thing with our Instagram. Sean does the same thing with our email and with spikeball.com. So, you know, there's some tongue in cheek humor there. Uh, we're having some fun and uh, yeah, just that personal, organic, authentic element. It's not necessarily planned, but I think that's what's allowed it to resonate so well with people. You mentioned about continuing to try to push this into really being a more and more well-known, recognized global sport. Is that what your guys' primary focus is going to be in 2020? Where, what do you think of a sort of your big overarching goals uh, that you want to accomplish this year that are going to move forward from everything that you've accomplished in the last couple of years? Yeah, so, you know, everything we do is to, to support the mission of the company to create the, the next great global sport. So we've got this balance, though, where, you know, yes, we do want to drive as many people to our tournaments as possible, and we want to have, you know, fantastic tournaments. You know, one of the biggest events we're going to be having this year is the first ever world championship, and that's taking place over Labor Day in Belgium. Um, we have, you know, there's going to be tons of people there. I think it's going to be a three-day tournament, if I remember right. Um, and there's going to be probably 20 to 30 countries represented there. And that's fantastic. And that will be a, a great area for people all over the world to make friends, to meet new people, and to just, you know, have fun. And, of course, everybody's going to be there competing, trying to become the world champ. Um, but also... Um, anybody can register and play that. You know, you have to qualify to be in certain um, divisions, but if you just like having fun with your friends and just kind of backyard play, and you want to go there and compete as well, you can. So, you know, we're trying to serve both masters there and we don't want to exclude anyone. 
So, you know, we've got big tournaments like that. We'll have our national championship in the U.S. this fall as well. Uh, that location is still, we're still working on that. Um, but we also need to focus on building that foundation. So, you know, we've, we've seen a, an explosion of play in high school and college. And how can we pour gas on that fire? How can we get more and more high school and college students playing? Because when we do that, then a certain number of them will actually enter competitive play. They'll start coming to tournaments, and that will be one additional turn in that flywheel of us becoming a legitimate sport. Um, and, you know, it'll also help, you know, continuing to work with uh, to work with you guys, uh, to work with the ESPNs of the world and anybody else that'll sort of help get our message out there. Um, part of it's going to be, yes, this is a legitimate competitive sport. The other part's going to be, you know, sort of here's an intro to the, here's an intro to spike ball, here's an intro to round that, and here's what it's all about. You know, we still have that sort of steep hill of just educating people, um, sort of what we're about, you know, Premier League lacrosse, right? From what I can tell, they're doing pretty darn well and they're very new. They don't really have to explain to the world what lacrosse is though, right? Pretty much everybody knows uh, for the most part what it is. So we have to not only educate people what this sport is, and then all, then step two is to get them actually to be playing on a competitive level. What advice would you give to anyone who, and you guys obviously have a, a really unique story compared to some of the other people that we talked to and that you really built up a, a new product, a new game, a new sport. What advice would you give to people looking to, in many ways, build something from scratch? And what have you learned throughout this process of building out your company and promoting out this new game um, I'm, I'm careful to give advice. I'm, I'm more of a shared experience kind of a person. So, you know, what worked for me or what didn't work for me, maybe the exact opposite for what, you know, works for another company. But, you know, I was talking with a, a guy a few weeks ago, he's starting a new company and it's sort of like this, uh, it's, it's a product for babies. And, you know, you put your baby in and it helps them fall asleep better. And uh, he was explaining to me, he's like, you know, I've been spending a lot of money on Google ads and Facebook and all that. And, while it's all driving traffic, um, it's not get, I'm not getting much revenue for it. So I need to keep tweaking the ads and kind of figuring out and, you know, trying to do something different. And most of his focus was on tweaking the ads and trying to optimize those. And he had also told me that he had, been, he had done a successful Kickstarter thing. And, you know, he had a couple hundred people that actually signed up for it and bought the product there. And I'd asked him, I was like, yeah, have you talked to those couple hundred people to sort of learn what is it about them or yeah why did they actually buy the product you know sight unseen you know on, on kickstarter that's a pretty risky thing for a customer to do and he had not spoken with them so i i shared with him i said yeah you know in the early days of spikeball we spent a lot of money on paid ads and just like you we got a lot of traffic that came to us but we got zero sales so total waste of money um when we did get sales, I started replying emails to those customers saying, hey, thanks for uh, buying Spikeball. By the way, if you don't mind me asking, how'd you hear about it? And I learned so much just by asking that question and relationships started with those customers. I'd get on the phone with them and ask them more and more questions. And that education I got was just worth so much. So, um, you know, when we, by the time I ended that call with him, he said, all right, I'm going to stop my ads immediately. Um, I'm going to reach out to those couple hundred people that had purchased from me on Kickstarter 
and ask them how they hear about it. What is it that made them want to buy it? Do they have any friends that might be interested in it? You know, those are his ambassadors. Those are people that have raised their hand saying, yes, I love what you're doing. I love you so, I love it so much. I'm actually going to give you money for it. Those people are worth way more than getting an extra click or something like that. So I think a lot of people, when they're starting businesses, they immediately think I have to do paid advertising in order to make this thing work. And slow and steady is, in my case, uh, is what got us here. And it's taking the time to establish that relationship with the customer and to just learn what is it about them. You know, in the early days, I thought that volleyball players were going to love our product because the, you know, the sports are so similar. So I met a bunch of volleyball players and I asked them to play and they were nice and they played and they hated it because it was, it was close enough to their sport, but they weren't any good at it. They were, they were so used to being good at their sport. And I was there trying to introduce this new thing, trying to light this fire. And by the time I met with them, I had already spent a lot of money on paid ads going after volleyball players and all of them came to the site, but none of them bought it. But by asking the question of the people that had already purchased it saying, Hey, how'd you hear about us? I heard from people that played ultimate Frisbee and they were telling me how ultimate Frisbee players love it. I heard from PE teachers, PE teachers were saying how much, and I was like, wow, ultimate Frisbee. I never would have considered going after that, but we started sending free sets and learning more from ultimate Frisbee. And, you know, to this day, you can't go to an ultimate tournament in the U S and not see a spike ball set being played somewhere. Um, so kind of a longish answer, but that would be my, uh, my advice uh, if I had to give it learn from your customers, get to know them really well, and don't rely on paid ads, at least in the early days. That, that could be a very expensive drug to get addicted to. Chris, final question before we let you go, and there might not be one direct answer to this, but I'm curious how you think of it. Who, who or what do you consider your guys' primary competition going forward? Who, who do you see you guys sort of battling it out with when it comes to the consumers that you're trying to lock down? Um, it's going to be a very broad answer, but I'd say for our casual player right now, it's downtime. So we've heard from tons of coaches of other sports that say, yeah, you know, um, maybe I'm a, a, a diving coach and we go to a tournament every Saturday with my college team. And when the, when the team is not competing, they're usually sitting in a, a corner somewhere playing on their phones. Um, and just waiting for the next uh, heat or whatever it is. And coaches are now bringing spike ball sets, and they're filling that downtime with spike ball, and they're keeping their athletes active and engaged and, you know, working on their hand-eye coordination, et cetera. Um, we've got moms that are sending us emails saying, thank you so much for getting my kids outside and active again, because before, during their downtime, they were just inside just kind of chilling or playing video games or just not being active. So... Um, you know, some people would, you know, if, if you were asked them who our direct competition is, they'd say, oh, it's, it's got to be cornhole or, you know, some other backyard games or something like that. And um, to some extent, that's true. But I think that's taking a way too narrow, uh, way too narrow of a view. Um, so I think downtime as a whole, if we can focus on that, that will allow us to get more um, of the social player. Um, or the casual player and then as long as we engage them and make sure that we give them a fun enough experience playing then some of them will graduate to be um, sort of more professional level players. 
Chris Ruder, founder and CEO of Spikeball. Thank you for taking the time for speaking with us today and best of luck on everything going forward in 2020. Awesome. Appreciate the time.